I was reading this while I was uh, I had a weekend away and I, I was I was really having a great weekend and then I read to this point and I was like this is gonna ruin my holiday <laughs> he mentions about PC Stockford he's only three months from retirement <laughs> 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 you read that and you're like, oh, you're not long for this world. <laughs> I'm hiding under the bed with a shotgun as we speak. <laughs> Matt, are you feeling all right? Matt, Matt, what's happened? That sound can only mean one thing. It's part one of Shark Liver Oil's zombie apocalypse coverage. Dave, have you got the vaccine? I've not got a vaccine, Matt. All I've got is a cricket bat and a glint in my eye. (laughs) Well, that's going to have to do as we enter the zombie apocalypse. So... um, if you if you if this is the first time you've listened to us, basically what we're doing is we're going through a book called Zombie Apocalypse by Stephen Jones. It's not kind of by it's it's created by Stephen Jones, and there's that caveat because it's actually by a, a big group of authors, and he just sort of puts it all together. Um, so it's a it's a collection of different things, you know, like voice recordings, videos. Uh, all set down in text form for you to flick through and uh, get a feel for this this zombie apocalypse. It's quite an interesting uh, way of doing it, isn't it? I was I thought it was quite creative the way that they told the story. Yeah, I was reminded of um, World War Z or World War Z as we should call it. I don't know, um, which had Z. the same idea that, that was like an oral history of a zombie apocalypse, and this is more like kind of found stuff, which is feels a bit more British because it's a bit more bleak. Yeah. Like, there isn't that kind of Hollywood thing of at least some people survived. Like, you're reading this, and it could, it really easily just be stuff that's been recovered after the fact by people who were subsequently killed by the oncoming zombie tide. Yeah. So, it was quite, there is a, a real bleakness to it. We, we are today reading up as far as um, what we called in the last cast, um, the diary which includes George and Alex. It turns out the person who writes that diary is a little 13-year-old girl called Alex. No, not called Maddie. So we're reading up to yeah. Maddie's diary part one today. Um, it turns out that we do see more of this diary later on. So yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's about tone. Yeah, there is um there is a real bleakness to it. There's also as we move through the book, um, some strange kind of black comedy in it as well. And yeah, and this is one of the things that I think it does struggle a little bit with this book because it's a, a variety of different authors putting it together. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes the tone's all over the place and it goes from very serious, very bleak to some kind of very black comedic scene. And I'm not sure yeah. they, they they fit together very well, but we'll we'll talk more about that later on. Um, shall, yeah. we, shall we just dive straight in then? Oh, actually, no, do you know what? Before we do, mm. um, there's, there's kind of a, there's a rant that I need to have about this book. This is where Dave rants about the Kindle editions of books, <laughs> right? Unfortunately... Despite the fact that ebooks are an enormous part of the publishing marketplace these days, it's all very hit and miss as to whether or not the Kindle edition of the book that you've got is actually worth having at all. Right. And some of them are great, like the Night, the Night Circus, uh, which we did recently, was fantastic for me because it was every every little kind of section had its own kind of bookmark to it, so you could flick through it very quickly to find the precise one you were in. Really easy to do. Others less good. 
and it's in that category that I would place Zombie Apocalypse. Right. Um, because it's got because it's made out of all these letters, and they're actually graphically represented in the book, like they are, like like a scan of a, a letter from whatever organization it is, or a printout of an email from whoever it is, or whatever. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of graphics, so it must be beautiful in the print copy. Um, but in in the Kindle version, it's a nightmare, because in order to make sure you can see all of these images properly, they've got mm. something called Kindle Text Pop-Up. Instead of changing a page whenever you click to change a page, it changes a line, so you're just constantly hammering the page advance. Oh, and if you misjudge it, because it lags behind your buttons, <laughs> button yeah. presses, then you go onto the next page, and, you, and, and, and so like the tension of that is completely taken away, because you read top of the next page, somebody gets eaten. And you're like, oh. <laughs> so you go back. Not only that, about once every three or four pages, it just quits and goes, oh, I can't read that. Oh. It crashes, basically. So essentially, if we hadn't been doing this book for uh, for this podcast, I wouldn't have persevered with it. I would have just been like, well, that's five pounds of my money that you've taken away to give me something truly shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's a piece of crap. It's like a publisher publishing a book where half of the words are printed backwards. Yeah. Or on paper that snaps the moment you pick it up. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's it's utterly pointless. Well, shall we shall we dive into the non-digital version so we can flick through? The non-digital version, yeah. Yeah, there's no way I'm flicking along with this, by the way. It would be, you'd, all you'd get from me for the rest of this would be howls of anguish. Not unlike, ironically, those of a member of the undead. Exactly. So the, the, the start is... Um, we get a bit of classic old English madness as uh, we see a little scrap of, of writing from Thomas Morby, who Ooh. later on turns out to be um, some guy obsessed with bringing back the dead. Um, yeah. the, the book tends to uh, have its cake and eat it a bit with sort of origins of the zombie apocalypse because there's yeah. normally in a zombie book, you'll ha- it's either a scientific thing that happens or a supernatural one. And yeah. it's some kind of a bit of both with this. It, it's the, the, it ventures scientific explanations for what's happening, but it also mm. couches it in these um, sort of very you know religious and uh, sort of classic ho- gothic horror terms as well. You get yeah. you get influences of both, don't you? Well, I thought that was I, I actually thought that was quite good. Like I agree, they are having their cake and eating it, but it made a lot of sense to me because I, I think that's how it would be dealt with kind of at the, if you're really going through like a real-time zombie apocalypse which as we know is likely um you know people would be like oh it's it's you know spiritual or whatever yeah. this is a horror movie you know it's supernatural um uh, and loads of other people would be like no it's a plague it's a plague you know yeah now the, the first big chunk of uh, information is an email from i think it's a nameless bloke i don't think we ever get his name yeah and yeah, um, yeah no you don't this is one of the things that I liked about this is uh, on the page, obviously you've had problems with it on the Kindle, but on the page it's actually um, sort of grey and white in, in areas behind, like in the background, to, to simulate a laptop on the blink of uh, of actually going out. Oh, is it really? Yeah, which is, which is oh, pretty good. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Actually, do you know what? I thought that was just my Kindle playing up. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Nope, it's um, oh, that's supposed I to be like I should have given them more credit. <laughs> um, so it's a, it's basically a, a final email that this guy's sending to his mother. Um, it certainly is bleak, 
Uh, it talks about something called the New Festival, which we find out is it's basically the government's replacement for the Olympics, which they somehow lost. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, that's... Uh, the politics of that aren't terribly clear to me. No. Like it, well, I, I imagine, you know, we'll get to it, but the, the whole, the kind of where to place this in a chronology doesn't doesn't make a great deal of sense to me. I think it's set um, pretty much when the book... I think the book was written about 2010, and I think it was right. set around then um, in a fictional universe where the economy's gone so far to shit that everyone is thoroughly depressed. We've lost the Olympics, and um, and the government has somehow turned... Britain's somehow turned into some kind of semi-police state, which is... Yeah. I mean, as we find out later on, the, the police are wandering around with firearms. The, there's been some massive massacre in Trafalgar Square. And uh, I, almost as unbelievable as the zombie apocalypse, I find it very hard to to, to sort of map a, a way which um, continued economic stagnation leads to the breakdown <laughs> of the <laughs> democratic society, <laughs> which leads to the zombie apocalypse. It seems like a couple yeah. of jumps there. Yeah, and so this emails to his mum. It's it's really sad, and it's quite I find it quite moving as well. Um, he yeah. talks about how things have all gone pretty badly in England, and this this new fest as part of this new festival, um, the government are redeveloping certain areas, including um, a church area and a, and a cemetery, and they're digging up graves. And the the writer of this email with his wife decides to go down and protest. Um, and they head down and sort of stand outside and make the feelings felt that they're not happy about what's going on. Um, <laughs> there are some people there apparently cheering on the, the diggers because they're all excited about this new Britain festival, this new festival of Britain. And, um, Which is another image of, of British society significantly different from how it is. Can you imagine anybody... <laughs> positively protesting a government development who stands outside crossworld crossrail developments going yeah yeah faster public transport faster public transport the guy writing this email describes the people cheering on the uh, diggers as the culturally lobotomized which um so he takes quite a strong stance on it this opening salvo is sort of tell you what it sounded like it sounded like somebody who spends their days commenting on news stories on the Guardian website. That's what it sounds like. I'm not talking about like, oh, this has moved me, I'm going to engage in a conversation. I'm talking about the kind of people who log on and are there all day, and that's their occupation. <laughs> no matter what they're actually doing to earn money, is to just comment with, you know, kind of froth or bile yeah. in one direction or another on these. And he sounded like that. Um, that, that sort of character. And I thought that was quite funny because he's supposed to be a lawyer this character <laughs> yeah the, the email goes from firstly talking about the, the sort of the the build-up to what happens here the only real feeling that we get that something is seriously wrong beyond um a bit of uh you know disagreements over planning is there's this old lady who um who he assumed the, the guy assumes is is crazy but looking back thinks she may have just been frightened and and have known and knew what was going to happen i wonder mm. if, if this old lady pops up again later on but we'll come to that later um, I think she does. Mm. But yeah, it all goes to hell pretty quickly um, as he starts talking about how he's his you know, the, the dead are walking the earth and um, he hears his sister get killed um, over the phone. Um, the yeah. zombies sort of break in and, and eat her while she's uh, while she's on the phone. And um, he also says that he's he's locked his wife in the basement because she's also a zombie. 
and yeah. and he decides that he's going to kill himself um, by burning himself alive, which yeah. which seems. I mean, if you if you do decide to go down the suicide route, there's got to be easier ways to go than than burning yourself alive, surely. Well, it's interesting. I felt like that felt quite logical after the kind of world that he'd built. So I, I mm. thought the first bit was all horror rests on the kind of death of reason in a sense, doesn't it? Like this, like, you know, nobody in a horror film or a zombie book or whatever acts sensibly. Mm. And that's part of what communicates the fact to you that they're in this horrific situation. Like like in, in Scream, don't, don't answer the phone, don't go into the basement. But somehow, one of the horrifying things is this kind of people leave behind what's sensible. Um, and all that you have left to you is this kind of bleak self-immolation. Um, yeah. So for me, that was part of what made it, made oh, it kind of horror. The other thing that, uh, that really struck me here was that... Um, the, the the description of his wife in the basement it, it says I, she doesn't breathe but she moves hmm. like and you just that him being close enough to the basement where you've locked this loved one who wants to kill you yeah close enough to to hear that she's moving around but not breathing is just the creepiest damn yeah. thing <laughs> yeah I thought I thought it was incredibly effective and really well done yeah the the next bit is a a memo from a something called the BMC which I initially thought assumed was the British Medical Council, um, but f- I kind of I kind of get the I think it might be some kind of bastardized. It's supposed BBC. to be the BBC. Yeah, that's what it um, is. Like so, it's it, you know because you, you don't want to yeah. use the trademark and that. But yeah, and this first one is um, is just about you know avoiding traffic issues during the um, during the new festival, which is almost mm. exactly the same as what they said during the actual Olympics. So it's kind of I suppose that's pretty realistic. The next bit is a. I've called this the medic and the journalist. This is where um, mm. there's a doctor, um, the Professor Margaret Wynne, um, from UCH mm. in London, um, and she's uh, worried about the the health risk um, posed by digging up um, what looks to be an old plague site, and yeah. um, and it's, there's this mixture again of science and supernatural as she. She writes to a historian who talks a bit about this guy called Thomas Hawksmore who um who was into these arcane rituals and things like that. And also mm. she's looking at it from a public health point of view and looking into whether um something like the bubonic plague can remain dormant, like strains of it can remain dormant if bodies are buried in things like clay and could it be yeah. released into the population if it's disturbed. I, I like this. I like this whole detective story bit. Mm. Um, like I thought, it was really kind of well sketched, and I think we have seen her before because she's she's this kind of elderly academicy woman that the lawyer in the first bit talks to. She she approaches the head of the you know the site manager for this for this dig site, who pretty much gives her the brush off, and in the end, actually, the, the someone from the Department of Health gives a bit of a slapping down as well so obviously yeah, yeah. the the authorities aren't interested in um in investigating this further she decides to do her own interviews um and she gets <laughs> hold of this bloke with a eastern european sounding name which i think is mm. uh, makes sense because there's this reference um in the history bit to say that um the last time they dug up a similar site they got romanians in to do it because they thought they were naturally immune to the plague because it broke oh, out yeah. over there, yeah. and I just thought it was a nice little parallel where they've, the guy yeah, she yeah. interviews happens to have an Eastern European name, and he talks about moving 
the like digging up the bodies and moving the intact ones into a skip and throwing the rest of them into the sort of general waste, which gets dumped in the Thames estuary, which sounds like a spectacular story and a front pa- front page news straight away. And you think, and it, all the way through this, um, at every step of the way, I'm I'm almost shouting at the book. Tell someone in the media. Tell a journalist. This is, <laughs> if this gets out, the, the site gets stopped. There's no doubt about it. And after having her, her office ransacked and um, contacting this historian, she, she finally does contact someone from the press, someone called Janet Ramsey, who's the head of current mm. affairs at something called Hard News, which which we assume is a, a, news, a newspaper. For me, it was just plausible, just contrived and plausible enough that she's like, oh, I need to get some some verifying information and the whole point of her wanting that is in order to give everybody everybody reading the book their second don't go in there he's behind the door moment <laughs> yeah of 20 pages or yeah, something definitely. because the, the first one is when this elderly academic goes in um and she does these interviews and then she's then she's like right i'm gonna go and check it check it yeah. out and you're yeah, like, bad move. Oh, you're not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and then you get the voicemails where um, she's, you know, oh, uh, yeah. Janice leaving the messages saying you've not replied. That right, I'm going to go down. Yeah, where are you? And you think, oh, something's up. <laughs> something's up here. Bad uh, shit's gone down. Yeah, and then it moves to a dictaphone recording of uh, the the journalist's demise. Effectively, I was reading this while I was uh, I had a weekend away, and I, I was I was really having a great weekend, and then I read to this point, and I was like this is going to ruin my holiday. <laughs> like, this this proper climbed inside my head. I have to say, this was extremely well written. Yeah. Um, and, oh, it's just some of the creepiest writing I think I've ever read. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to say, um, f- from the outset, though, this journalist turns up at this dig site alone in the middle of the night to meet this contact, and... Um, and she decides to explore the dig site in heels, which I thought was absolutely <laughs> insane. <laughs> when you think about, even without the danger of uh, you know something coming back from the dead and chasing you around it, the fact that mm. there's you know there's masonry everywhere, there's bit you know it's, it's it's not good terrain to be going down in heels anyway. Yeah, it, to, to to briefly go over what happens here, she she goes for a little explore. The she meets the same guy who. Uh, who the academic interviewed this Eastern European chap who, um, yeah. who lets her in. Uh, and we, we just read this transcript of her talking into a dictaphone. Um, and eventually she makes her way into the middle of the church, uh, into this hidden room where they've kept Idiot. all the bodies. Yeah. She, <laughs> she, <laughs> Is it, do you think it's unseemly to yell at a book? Cause I was yelling <laughs> at the book at this point. Yeah. She forces her way in and then, um, and then the guy, um, Marek actually traps her inside. And she yeah. sees the, the dead body of the academic, which then comes to life and, yeah. and kills her. And she describes that she's infested with fleas and that's what's yeah. controlling the body is uh, are these, these parasites, these fleas, which are getting people yeah. to get up and walk around. Yeah. And I thought that was quite an interesting take. I've never come across a zombie story in which it was fleas before. And it ties nicely to the bubonic plague stuff. Yeah. It's practically impossible to try and think that this is how the the plague was in the middle ages. I think the only way you could, you can try and explain around that is to suggest that maybe it's mutated in the time oh, between when it happened. Maybe it has. Because, because I was thinking exactly the same as you. I was thinking, there's no way that this that the 
the bubonic plague could have been a zombie apocalypse without anybody <laughs> making any reference to the fact that people it's got were a bit, it's an interesting around. idea isn't it <laughs> yeah um so maybe, maybe but, um, that. the thing is if that is the case if it has mutated i think it really should have been clearer in the book that that's what they were going to how oh, they were going to explain yeah, yeah. but anyway yeah that's true um i i i like the idea that the fleas were still alive somehow like fair enough the bodies have been preserved by being put in clay and it's, you know, all that sort of thing. But the fleas, the yeah. fleas which have had nothing to feed on for 800 years, are still alive and hopping. Yeah. What did you think about the... I, I, I liked the, the dictaphone stuff and it did give you a, a, a real creepy feeling. But I, yeah. I also thought once or twice it, it, it was straining against the constraints of what it was. And by that I mean yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, they were actually... She was saying things into the dictaphone that she needed to say for us to understand what was going on. But if you were yeah. in that situation, you'd never say. This is something that I've noticed, actually. You're absolutely right. Throughout the different segments of the of the book, it's you can almost, once you're looking for them, you can almost see it having been, like, crowbarred in. Like, they've gone, yeah, that's realistic for the voice of a 13-year-old girl, and that's realistic for the voice of a 13-year-old girl. Now we need a bit of colour. Yeah. So we're going to increase the vocabulary by about 20 years. <laughs> and then we need to describe what she's seeing. And so, and then we're going to go back to it being like a 13-year-old girl. Lol. Yeah. There's a letter about the outbreak. Um, and we find out that after um, the journalist is killed by the academic, um, this guy, uh, Marek, who was the person who let them in, uh, mm. tries to reopen the door to retrieve the... Uh, it's an act of spectacular stupidity. Tries to reopen the door to, to actually get hold of the dictaphone, which has obviously been Why? dropped. Why do you care no about document? You're a builder who yeah. is acting in an extremely <laughs> creepy and unpleasant manner. Why do you care about proper documentation of I, the phenomenon? I assume it was, he's been told to do it by someone above um, to yeah. sort of get a kill. And then, but then even that, the, the person who's come up with this devious strategy of locking the woman in the room with a zombie and then getting someone to go in after the you know woman has died yeah. and uh, you yeah. know presumably become a zombie to retrieve the the material seems ridiculous but anyway the the guy is bitten and then he bites someone else uh, as they're treating him and also one of the women either the academic or the journalist has escaped the next bit is uh, the police shift report from uh, Sergeant Liam Calvin, who's a who's the sort of the guy in charge of a, a team which are um, monitoring security around the site, the dig site. Mm. He's your kind of bog standard authority disliking sort of older salt of the earth officer, isn't he? Um, yeah. And his team include, uh, there's, there's a group of them, uh, Ken Stopford, Charlotte Gatewood, uh, Dawn Fletcher, Stuart McIntosh, and Vince Barkworth. And what I always do, whenever I'm reading a book like this, and there's a guy and a team of people, and they all get named, I think, right, I'm going to pick one, and I'm going to tie my fate to them because I'm going to like see. <laughs> no, it's never the leader; it's always one of the other nameless others. Oh yeah, I, think, no, I wonder you, if they're going to survive. Can't pick the leader because you know they're going to survive. Yeah, so I picked this time. I picked Vince Barkworth. I thought I'm going to pay attention to Vince. And hopefully right, everything's right. going to turn out well for him. I was keeping my fingers crossed. There are also Excellent. two, two um, agents, you know, he calls them spooks, who are from, um, I think, from either MI5 or something like that, who are monitoring yeah. the site, which suggests the government knows. <laughs> suggests the government knows that something's Oof. up. 
Bless you. I think I might be coming down with it. <clears throat> <laughs> oh, something I want to mention here at the start as well. He mentions about PC Stopford. He says he, yeah. he puts him in the van to monitor communications because he's the eldest. He's only three months from retirement. <laughs> <laughs> you read that and you're like, oh, you're not long for this world. Like, <laughs> like, doesn't it take a certain amount of moxie in 2010 to write a scene where police characters go into a perilous situation and one of them is openly <laughs> and explicitly stated as being only a few days from retirement? <laughs> like, did we not get over that as a cliche? in 1989 <laughs> I, actually, I actually laughed out loud when I read that I thought it was brilliant yeah, me too I was oh it was absolutely priceless most of the stuff at the start of this police report is your, your typical late night stuff going on there you know drunks vandals I think someone sticks his cock through someone's letterbox at one point <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed that I have to say just just the, this little kind of vignette <laughs> yeah. Oh, Vince, by the way, uh, Vince Bartworth, yeah. he heads out on to deal with an RTA, which is a, which is a, it's a car crash. Um, and I thought at that point, well, that's pretty good news, is get him away from the dig site. I like that. His, his yeah. chances of survival have just increased. One of Sergeant Calvin's um, jobs is an old lady who's um, afraid of noises in the attic. Um, mm. She says she's hearing stuff, something moving around in her attic, and she's scared shitless of it. And she's also worried because she she's sort of quite superstitious, and she knows about the reputation of this church. It it also turns out there was one of the officers was put on foot patrol. He's, he's notoriously the crappiest officer they've got, and he's been put yeah. on foot patrol around the site, and he's gone missing. But the sergeant yeah. isn't too worried at the moment because this isn't something that happens. This, this is something that happens quite a lot. <laughs> with this particular yeah. officer. But, I thought that was pretty good at like making like making this character so utterly useless that yeah. everybody's like oh fine has he fallen asleep great. Yeah. That makes pretty... my life easier. It increases the tension, you know, it's like, you know, having a loaded gun on the table in the middle of an ordinary scene, you know, yeah. like you just waiting for it to go off. And I thought it was very re- quite realistic how they said how he he said, you know, um he's probably turned his radio down. And uh, to speak to somebody, because um, and then hasn't turned it back up again. And it seems like something yeah. that a, a, an officer who wasn't concentrating could quite easily make yeah. a mistake. Yeah. They could quite easily make. Uh, eventually, they worry about they start worrying about this guy though. And Vince is is brought in along with a couple of others to to look for him. And now I'm starting to think, oh, I'm worried <laughs> for him again. I'm worried for Vince. Um, but. Um, after a, after a short period of searching, he's then taken away because there's a there's some kind of administrative issue with the um, with the, with an arrest that he's made earlier in the night. So Vince has to go to a police station to sort of sort that out. So again, I breathe a sigh of relief because he's back out of the danger zone. I can't believe that you've like you've you've subcontracted all of your emotional investment <laughs> in this sequence with one extremely minor character <laughs> who was dismissed twice. Yeah, I think no... you might have robbed a bit of the experience of yourself. To be honest, I, I, I quite enjoyed it. The funny thing, yeah, there's nothing beyond his name. There's no character development for Vince, but I just felt a strange affinity for him. So <laughs> you're, you're sort of bloke. I'm glad. I'm glad he's okay. Anyway, yeah. um, for now. Okay, so let's let's move on. There are um, yeah. so there are sightings of a naked woman wandering around near a park, and the first reaction is quite funny. People are just assuming that she's a dogger, um, but obviously she's not. It's something even more sinister. Compassion is alive <laughs> and well amongst the hearts of the British people in this continuing minute. Yeah, 
Um, so Sergeant Kelvin and PC Gatehouse um, go mm. into this park to to find this woman. PC Gatehouse finds um, this officer who's gone missing. She at first assumes he's fallen asleep on a park bench and then sees that he's bitten and um, he's got a wound on his neck and he's unconscious. Um, eventually, uh, the two characters, uh, the the sergeant and this PC Gatehouse, chase this naked woman around. Can you imagine having a sort of gothic Benny Hill soundtrack playing? Like, Benny Hill soundtrack that <laughs> played on an organ. <laughs> yeah, it's just right. <laughs> yeah. Brain. This is the point where they, they whip the guns out and um, and search the lavatory. It, it, this was good for tense scenes. I was on yeah. the edge of my seat reading it. Um, yeah. Eventually, uh, PC Gatehouse gets jumped, and um, and in this scuffle, um, she's bitten on the thumb by this dead mm. woman, and and she gets she's really shaken up, um, PC Gatehouse, by this because not only has she been attacked, the, the woman that she's seen is obviously in well, it's kind of a horrific state, um, and yeah. we find out obviously later, and we kind of know already, she's she's come back from the dead. So Gatehouse gets packed off to uh, to get sent, sent off to hospital. A guy called Les Khan turns up, who's another police officer. He's a dog handler with his trusty mm. dog, which Alfie, yeah, Alfie, which which runs off after the zombie, and then he's found shortly after, um, partly chewed and impaled on a spike. So um, that's a horrible way nice, for a poor little dog to go. And then we move on to this meeting that the sergeant has with the inspector, who's the guy in charge, Inspector Makewhite, who it's basically a meeting where the inspector uh, you know, moans about procedure and tries to pass the blame for the events that have happened onto the sergeant. And it turns out the reason the inspector hasn't been contactable up until this point is because he's been sneaking off to have an affair. Um, yeah. So the sergeant isn't, doesn't have a lot of respect for this guy. And it did, yeah. doesn't show um, the upper reaches of the police force in a particularly good light, does it? Yeah, this is a very good example of that classic sort of trope from from Scrubs, where there's just an authority figure whose whole dialogue could be boiled down to, I'm a tool, I'm a tool, I'm a <laughs> massive tool. Like, And yeah. that's that's the whole purpose of this character, yeah. is to just be a wanker. Definitely. Um we move on to the, the second entry, which is later in sort of early morning now. This is the uh, second part of the sergeant's notes, or the sergeant's report. Mm. It turns out the, <clears throat> the sergeant's returned to uh, the dig site to find that Spook 1, one of the uh, special agents, has been has been attacked and bitten. And, um, and he moves him into the back of a car and um, sort of leaves him to it for now and tries to call for help. He goes back to this house where the woman's been complaining about noises in the attic and that we get treated to a very spooky and creepy scene where he creeps around the house and um, there's Spook yeah. 2 is sitting in the armchair just staring yeah. at him and yeah. um, the the sergeant feels like we feel reading it like some serious shit's going down and it's very frightening and he just, just <laughs> no gets kidding. out of there. It is quite satisfying, isn't it, for once in a book or a, a piece of entertainment like this to have a character who does exactly what you're yelling at him to do. Yeah, definitely. Just get out! Just get out! Definitely. Um, and then uh, the, the, some heavy weapons teams arrive at the uh, at the dig mm. site, so 
this shit is getting seriously real now. And he also yeah. gets he gets an order to kill mm. um, PC Gatewood, who is the the person who who was bitten on the thumb when they were chasing the naked woman around, and yeah. um, and he's told to kill her because mm. uh, she's re- obviously reanimated in the ambulance and is now driving it around. Um, so this was a direction I wasn't expecting. This no, is zombie GTA. All. Yeah. And I think that's, that's just fantastic. Like you can make a video game out of that and sell it, <laughs> I think. Yeah. So he chases zombie demolition derby. So he chases the ambulance through the streets. The ambulance, um, knocks over a homeless woman and then, uh, crashes over an embankment and down into a sort of a, uh, like, I think it's a, like a forest area. I, I imagined. And, um, yeah. He climbs down after her, assuming that she's been killed in the crash. She gets out on fire um, <clears throat> and then jumps in the river and then emerges the other side and runs away. So yeah. um, he, there's obviously some really freaky stuff happening now. Um, yeah. And it's all getting very, very serious. And he returns to, uh, the, to the dig site and find we just find out now in the last couple of paragraphs this is where we find out a bit more about what's happened to everybody else and it turns out for all my worrying about Vince that um Vince and the other two officers um were in this hospital when one of the patients because there are a few people getting bitten now reanimated and all three yeah. of them tried to restrain this patient and they all got injured so you assume that he's 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 at it now, which I was just yeah. like, oh, for goodness' sake! He, he he pretty much died as he came in, didn't he, with a bit of yeah. a whimper. But he's, uh, he's very much the red shirt character, isn't he? Yeah, uh, an altogether more horrific end, uh, even more horrific end, is in store for the inspector Make White. The inspector has been having a having to go, you know, actually do some work for a change, and um, he's come across this dog handler's van. With a with a dog going mental in a, in a sort of locked up inside, and his last sort of call back to base is saying that he's going to let this dog out because um, it's been left in there, um, uh, and oh. and then that's it. And I think we're supposed to assume that that is the dog which is reanimated because because the yeah. the sergeant also talks about Les Khan, the dog handler, and yeah. imagining him wandering around with his sort of like uh, uh, like mauled bitten hands. Like holding his yeah. dog chain, so so the idea is that the dogs come back to life, killed Les Khan, and then maybe the yeah. maybe the the officers managed to get the dog into the car and lock it in before he's died, yeah. and then this inspector's let it out again. This puts the terrifying prospect of zombie animals as well, which um, may yeah. may happen later in the book. I don't know. Yeah, um, because I think in a lot of zombie fiction, normally it just affects people. And uh, yeah. animals are immune, which keeps it a bit um, it, it keeps it a bit neater. Because if you had zombie animals yeah. running around as well, then it, it would be pretty much impossible to survive. You know, there's no. <laughs> Can you imagine zombie cows? <laughs> well, would, would they change? Do you think? Well, I was thinking like zombie dogs and stuff. Though. They're so fast, you'd never get. You'd, yeah. You know, there's no way you'd avoid getting bitten. Zombie cows. Yeah. I mean, I could. I reckon I could take down a zombie. You just push it over and it'll get up. Oh yeah, you push it over, but then it. Then it kind of keeps crawling towards you, side swimming on the ground with its little legs <laughs> or its big legs, <laughs> mooing the word brains. <laughs> Terrifying. I don't think you've really thought through how imposing a zombie cow opponent would be. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, shall we move on to the final section today, which is Maddie's Diary? 
This is a 13-year-old girl's diary. And this first entry, there's not really much to say. Um, she's, she's got a friend called George. She's got a crush on his older brother, which is, who's called Alex. She got a bra for her birthday. She's very excited about that. Just made me think that I was glad I grew up a, a, a you know, I'm glad I'm a blog you know than a girl. I thought that exact thing <laughs> while I was reading this. It was like, oh, I'm glad I was never a 13-year-old girl. <laughs> um, yeah, so this first, the first entry, uh, almost all of this seems like, until some weird stuff starts creeping in later on, just a, a oh. very average, you know, realistic diary of a 13-year-old girl. We find that yeah. there's, there's a curfew in place by the government, and I don't think this is specifically because of the zombies at this point. It's just because of the civil unrest that's been going on. So she's yeah, not allowed yeah. out of the house after dark, and uh, yeah. her grandmother's moved into the flat as well. Yeah. Um, we have an appearance from her uncle Jack, who's we find out his friend died in some massacre at Trafalgar Square, where we assume there's been some big. There was a big protest over government powers and. Uh, and it ended badly for the protesters. The final entry yeah, yeah. is is the arrival of Uncle Uncle Jack, who looks like he's been bitten um, because he was down there as a as part of the protest, and it all went to hell. And the 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 entry ends. This is just the worst day ever. Which you wonder <laughs> whether things are going to get worse from here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite something, isn't it, for the world to be so screwed up that a thirteen year old's hyperbole doesn't quite meet the case i actually thought this was this was a really interesting direction to take it and simply for the fact that it is it's it feels quite true to life and it's come when a point in the narrative where several people have already died and there are zombies roaming around loose and it's all been described in quite quite close detail and then you've got this thing where there's just a girl living in a house with her family yeah. And and so and so you're just waiting for what the zombie apocalypse does to this family unit. And it's like, oh, you know, you just know nothing good is going to come from this, so it makes you feel incredibly tense. It's very very effective writing. Yeah. Um yeah. Okay. Um, um I tell you I, actually uh, the other thing was um the um so far <laughs> the all of the writers have taken a, a great deal of quite kind of gory splattery joy in um in describing what seems to happen to the human body when it becomes a zombie um in extremely close detail you know like the eyes have been eaten out or there's you know i can yeah. see the inside of her throat or the muscles were moving around without any skin or whatever and it's all stuff we've seen in films but somehow having it described in text makes it that much more vivid yeah and then you cut to this 13 year old girl's story and you're like ah! <laughs> <laughs> it is it is that troubling it really is yeah so um just uh, general thoughts about the this first part of the book um what do you think works particularly well and what did you think struggled a bit i thought that the the structure like the conceit of all these found documents there are some times where it feels a bit a little bit sort of stretched but Mm. most of the time it really works and telling the story of a, a zombie outbreak in real time i think really works yeah um I did think, though, one thing that I thought was a bit of a failure was the fact that at every point when people seem to come face to face with zombies, they don't have a moment where they're like, oh, my God, this is a human being. What is going on? Yeah. Like They seem very quickly to embrace the idea that it's a zombie, which makes sense in that it's a zombie book, but doesn't make sense in the tone of the realism and so on that they've tried really hard to build up up to that point. Like where the when the journalist is in the crypt and she 
sees her friend and starts narrating the experience of being eaten by a zombie. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, she's like, she goes, oh, there's fleas. Oh, this is how it works, is it? The fleas make you walk towards me in order to pass on the infection to me. Yeah. And it was it was such shameless exposition, <laughs> and um, I, I as well as being a bit sort of like, what really? Like in that moment, there's no way you say that. Yeah. Um, and and she seems to go very quickly from this is the decomposing presence of my friend, to this is the decomposing presence of my friend who is still animated and moving towards me, to you're a member of the living dead, which is how she actually refers to her. Yeah. And, um, and again, actually at the end of the, the, uh, the police report where he's like, um, you know, he says something like, you know, I've, I've heard something start to shuffle behind me and I'm pretty certain that, you know, I've not shot a human being today and I don't think I'm, a, I'm about to do it either. Like yeah. there's another thing where that makes sense as like a creepy trail line, but it doesn't make any sense whatsoever to go from dead person to zombie. But I would say, for the sergeant, he has just seen um, somebody crash uh, an ambulance, get out on fire, jump in a river and, and run away. Yeah. If he's seen, like, any uh, horror film in his life, he'd probably have a, an idea of what might be going on. I think with the sergeant, you could make a case for him. He's He's been piecing this together through the night, and mm. now he's, um, with all his other experiences combined... Um, he's kind of working out what's going on. I think it's, it's interesting in something like, uh, because I think this is set in a world, in our world, so where, you know, zombie fiction exists and it's quite a big thing in popular consciousness now. So that so there is more of a chance of, of, of people believing it more quickly than, than they would have otherwise. For example, in the, in, you know, the Walking Dead series, um, yeah. that is set in a world where, there, there's no um, zombie fiction or anything like that. They've, they go to great pains to say that. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, so when people start coming back to life, it's just it's not even it's, it's unheard of even in sort of fiction. Yeah. Well, I think that would be a better way of dealing with it, to be honest. Or, or, or do a thing where you make some George Romero references, or you talk about Sean of yeah, the Dead. Yeah, that's or, a good idea. You know, or like like if you're gonna make a universe in which if the dead start walking, you automatically think, oh, like in the zombie movies, mm. make a couple of references to the zombie movies. Well, I suppose there's a lot of book to go, so we'll uh, we'll, we'll wait and see, see if maybe some of these things will be um, will, will, will be sorted out later on. But um, this is as far as we're going today. Um, if you're reading along with us, um, the next point to read to... Now, what do you think about this, Dave? How about the next point is th- there's a there's a blogger who uh, whose sort of writings are, are noted down, and this that seems like a good place to stop next, which is um, let's see if I can find it. It's roughly the same amount again, the you know that we've already read, right? Um, so the end of it is yeah. It's basically when you come to when you come to a part in the book where it's a blogger, then you know, read that bit and then stop at the end of it and we'll stop there too. And that's what we'll talk about next week. If you're wondering why we're um, we're being so cryptic with our where to read up to as part of this book, it's because there are no page numbers. So this is the only way we can do it. Another formatting triumph. <laughs> yeah. Dear, oh dear. Okay. Well, Dave, um, until next time, until we've read the next part of the book, 
Uh, stay quiet and stay safe out there. I will. I'm hiding under the bed with a shotgun as we speak. As part of my exhaustive research for this, I was reading a fantastic article on Cracked.com, which I urge you to go and read. It's by T.E. Sloth and David Wong, and uh, where they've listed five scientific reasons a zombie apocalypse could actually happen. So um, last time out, we talked about the uh, the bacteria that are living in the guts of your cat. Again, this is like hard science. Um, number four, then, is neurotoxins, right? Apparently, there are poisons in the world which will, like, slow your metabolism so much that, like, a a layperson or a bad doctor would look at you and go, oh, he's dead. To quote this article, um, the victims can then be brought back under the effects of a drug um, which can leave them in a trance-like state with no memory but still able to perform simple tasks like eating, sleeping, moaning, and shambling around with their arms outstretched. The idea of the zombie uh, originates in the kind of um, animistic uh, voodoo religions of uh, Haiti, uh, which is where the word zombie comes from. And um, uh, the article um, quotes the example of a Haitian guy called Clavius Narcisse, um, who was declared dead by two doctors and buried in 1962, and who was then found wandering around the village 18 years later, right? turned out local voodoo priests had been using naturally occurring chemicals to basically zombify people and put them to work on the sugar plantation <laughs> so you know ethical sugar this is not just this is not just for the lefties all right if you if you want a zombie free life that's that's screwed up <laughs> it's what it is